host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? Not much. It's just good to be back here. I, I will say that parking at this time of year it must be <laughs> almost December because all of a sudden, from no problems to running in here like my tail's on fire because I couldn't find a spot. So must be, I'm blaming it on the Christmas shoppers. Bah humbug. Yeah, the P and PDO cast stands for parking, and we're going to do a deep dive of the Vancouver parking scene here today. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, a genuine treat, as always, to have the director of our Department of Goaltending Excellence here li- live in the flesh joining us in studio kevin the people uh we started this discord channel for the pdo cast where our listeners have been congregating and chatting and uh you know talking every night observations during the games posting mailbag questions and the one consensus that unites everyone is they've been clamoring for the return of kevin woodley on the pdo cast there's a lot of goalie questions in there people wanting i've been doing these deep dives every week with uh with daryl belfry where we go through the tape for players and like look at what they're doing how they're doing it people want me to do goalie ones with you he's so good and i'm like i don't know i don't know if there's enough material there for me to be talking about uh what goalies are doing on tape but people want you on the show and we're uh we always give the people what they want here in the video. See, cast. So there's a local discord for like local Canucks coverage. And I've I, heard about I this one. I yeah. to join this one and, and my apologies to Wyatt the stanchion that I haven't yet. It's because I'm one of the olds and technology gives me trouble. So I haven't quite figured out what this whole discord thing is. But if I'm going to get a tire pump on yours, maybe I am going to have to get on this on, on is, this is Discord. Is it a new thing? Is it Discord? I think people have been using it for a while. It's pretty new for me. Uh, I think it's been around for a while. It's big in the gaming community, but it's been great. I've been really enjoying it for PDO guest purposes now. Never Don't worry. Stuff like Discord and TikTok makes me feel like a boomer too. So I, uh, the extent of my social media goes Twitter, Instagram, and that's about it. So I'm welcome right there with the, you. Welcome to the olds. Yes. Okay. We've got a series of topics here. We're going to get into some of those mailbag questions I referenced from the Discord. But let's first talk about the Minnesota Wild. We're recording Speaking this. Speaking of the olds. Speaking of the olds, we are chatting. Uh, this is a Tuesday afternoon now and a Monday afternoon. Uh, they fired their coach, Dean Evison, who remarkably, I looked this up, was at the time of his firing, the ninth longest tenured coach in the league, which seems remarkable. Speaks to the life cycle of NHL coaches, but also feels like yesterday that they made that change to begin with um, and brought him on. Now, on the one hand, I get it. They're 5, 10, and 4. They have a minus 19 goal differential, and they've trailed for about 50% of their total game time so far this season. That's a stat we keep referencing. We're going to come back to that later in this conversation. But on the other hand, I think some context and in terms of assigning blame is necessary here. Like, they're not getting anything from their goalies. And we're going to talk about that, obviously, with you here in studio. Their penalty kill has been a league worst. Their top player, Kill Kaprizov, has six five-on-five points in nearly 300 five-on-five minutes this season. Uh, they've only gotten six games out of Jared Spurgeon, who's not only their captain, but last year was just absolutely phenomenal, one of his best, if not his best, season in his NHL career. And so you put all that together, and I think what you keep coming back to is, as an NHL head coach, you're really only as good as your goalies are. Yeah, and this is an interesting one because, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't done a lot of Minnesota Wild watching um, this year, and the goalies were a really good story last year. And so as you sent me the topics, as I saw that Everson was let go yesterday, I looked up their numbers, and, like, they're not great. Don't get me wrong. They're certainly not where they were last year, but they're just ever so slightly below expected. Like so do you... 0.2 
percent below expected. Now, now that's again, like that's 49th out of 76 goalies that have have qualified for this this year. They're tied actually. Um, it's not what you got last year, especially at Augustuson, who yeah. basically was the only goalie to approach Linus Allmark in terms of adjusted save percentage. But their expected numbers in terms of the environment, like the bottom's falling out. Mark Andre Fleury's expected save percentage this year is 866. Holy smokes. So I know the raw numbers yeah. are going to look really bad, but when you're expected is 866, yeah, like that. That's kind of what happens. Um, Gustafson is down at 875. Again, like league average this year is 888 in terms of expected. So um, the the bottom has sort of fallen out a little bit. And, you know, along with that, they're not performing like they did last year. Fleury ended last year at plus 1%. And as I said, Gustafson was plus 2.7. So that's a big difference. But the environment is worth worse. When I look at where they are defensively, 25th overall, 5-on-5, five five, they were 13th last year. 22nd off the rush, they were 6th last year. PK, especially high danger chances against, 31st in the National Hockey League, 21st mm. last year. Like, they're giving up a lot more than they used to as a quote-unquote defensive team. Um, and their goalies aren't able to sort of hold water the way they were last season behind what is an you know an increasingly difficult environment. Well, I wonder how much of that, it's kind of chicken or the egg, right? Because the reason why I referenced that stat off the top of this conversation about them trailing for about half of their game times so far this year, which is the worst in the league, is because we know that typically if you're, if you're pushing and you're trailing, right, you're going to generate more of the volume because you're just like frantically, because of score effects, trying to get back in the game. But that leaves you very susceptible then to the counter off the rush. And generally, you know, the teams who are leading and protecting a lead have fewer shots, but they're more efficient because when they do take those shots, they're going to be more high dangers. Right. Right? And, and, that's, and that's probably what's happening here. Yeah, I and, and you, I mean, to me, that's a watch the game thing too. Like you have to sort of watch more to see it. But, and you, but when you tell me they're trailing that much and I look at where they are off the rush this year, you know, as I said, 22nd overall, 20th in terms of high danger, they were sixth in, in both those categories last year. Like to, to fall that far um, and, and like not to pin it on the coach, but yeah, when you're like, there are two things, I guess when you fall behind and, Part of that's usually goaltending as well. But when you're behind and you're chasing, that's when you make mistakes. And part of the coaching message that can be hard to get across is is to not chase outside of structure, is to not take right. chances well playing catch up. And it's when you do that you start to, you know, you start to create turnovers that lead to the you know what? We hear it a lot this day these days. The easy goals. Like yeah. you can't just give away the freebies. And it it feels anecdotally, and when I look at the numbers, like they're giving up more freebies than they did in the past. And, and listen, your goalie's got to make some of those saves too. And this is a team that got a lot of them last year. They need even more this year based on what they're giving up. And they just haven't been able to get as many. Yeah, the Gustafson one is a real conundrum for me, right? Because as you mentioned, really the only thing holding him back in that Vesna conversation, I mean, regardless... Allmark probably would have won it just because his numbers were so preposterous and the Bruins have won so many games. Game but on a per-game basis, yeah. right? He played the 38 games. They were all, any adjustment you put towards them, like they were right there. He's, he was the best just a league. hair behind Allmark yeah. in, in the ones that I pay the most attention to. And like I said, the only thing that kept, sort of kept him out of a conversation that otherwise was basically Allmark and Soros was the fact that he just played he didn't less. play yeah. off. Yeah. yeah, the 38 games. And then they give him the three-year contract. And obviously, even when you apply the context of slightly different environment this year. I think his performance hasn't 
necessarily been what we got last year, right? And so no, for him of, for him to be below expected, given you were counting on that's a big drop yeah. from where he was last year, even behind a tougher environment. Um, so yeah, he hasn't he hasn't given you what what you were sort of counting on when he gave him that contract. Yeah, and when you start when you when you're getting the saves, things are good. When you're not getting the saves, the coach is to blame. Yeah, but I mean, again, like we shouldn't use expected as like that's good right right like yeah, like yeah. but he's not that far below like these guys are not they have not bottomed out no. this is not the worst goaltending in the league and i've heard a lot of discussions about dean evison losing his job because the goaltending is amongst the worst in the league but when mark andre fleury has an expected of 866 like i think there's only six goalies with lower that have, yeah. you know that have seen more than 100 shots like that is a that's a tough way to go through a year. We should ask Eric Comrie because he's one of the goalies again for a second straight year that has this abysmal yes. expected save percentage. Well, you know this. We just generally, us in the community of not analyzing goaltending the way you, you do, generally just look at goals against. And if it's high, it's the goalie's fault, right? And and, and I think that's happening here because the Wilders are certainly giving up a ton of goals against. And so I think people are just attributing that to their goaltending. But I think the change of environment is an important thing to note. Anything else on the wild here, or do you want to move on to a a more optimistic question from a listener that I think is going to lead us down a a, a bit more fun street filled with sunshines and let's, rainbows? Let's go positive. We got to okay. keep the goalie union card in the wall. Okay, today. Paul S. asks, "Who is the next Aiden Hill that I can scoop up for my fantasy team?" Now, there was a lot of responses to this question in the Discord, being like, "If I know Kevin, it's going to be either Kevin Lankinen." or Connor Ingram, two goalies that we have spoken about quite a bit here whenever you come on. Particularly, we, we referenced last year, our final show of the season before we went on summer hiatus. There was all these moves, all these signings of goalies and everything, and then at the end, we sprinkled in a little nugget talking about Connor Ingram being like, this is a name to watch heading into next season because down the stretch, his performance was phenomenal. He really seems to have put it together. And lo and behold, as much as we love Corral the Thrall of Melka here, he struggled a little bit. And they've been alternating those two guys this season in that Arizona crease. And I think lately Ingram's making a real push to, at least while Vamelka figures it out, to take on more of that burden, right? And so I'm really curious to see how that goes, if that really is the case for them. Well, and, and I get like, like going to go right back to the Discord and tire pump myself here because that was my, that was like, he was one of the guys that I'm like, last year, if you're a team that needs a goalie and Nashville's got him on waivers, this is the guy I get. And, and I remember speaking with the Arizona reporters about like, like this is the guy I would target because they were missed. They were short a goalie. And sure enough, he's panned out. Now it took a little while. Right. And mm -hmm. this is the challenge. I get this question a lot about the Oilers, right? Like who do they need to go get? Well, the reality is even for these guys that, that were hits, so to speak, like it didn't happen to December for Connor Ingram. Like, so you can't yeah. go get a guy and expect it to happen right away. There's an adjustment period, but from December on last year, he was really good. He's been really good this season. Um, so I don't even know if I could pick him cause I don't, I, I sort of already, he's already it. there, yeah, right? He's not, he's not, for me. he's not going to break out. He already has. And I'll give you the Lankin in one too, because he's right now and, and UC Saros is traditionally a slow starter. So you got a grain of salt that Saros has been elite for two straight years. Like I think he's done it long enough that I have him in that category. So I expect his start to sort of start to turn around here mm -hmm. soon. Um, but yeah, Lankin in plus 1.8 percent adjusted save percentage early in the year like he's a guy that because i think they only signed him to a one-year contract i'd be looking for i'll give you another name though and i think a lot of people are going to think i'm going to this because the question was aiden hill comparison and he comes from the same team right but i think there's actually some physical tools that are similar and like Mackenzie blackwood mm. 
Like this is a guy who a couple of years ago we were talking about potentially being the next guy up in, in Canada's crease in a best on best situation. The physical tools are still there. Um, talking to people around San Jose and, and actually even talking to David Quinn after a game recently, like, you know, he threw it out there. Like he's just an elite goaltender. Like he is an elite guy and we know that here. Mm. I don't know that enough other people know that. And I think in the goalie world, there's a consensus that he has all the tools. And if he can stay healthy, like there are other guys, Carter Hart, Jordan Bennington, but I would not be shocked at all if by the time we get to this next best on best in 2025 with some of the structure he's putting into his game, yep. a healthy Mackenzie Blackwood is right back in that mix. Now, in terms of going and getting him, like the, like Vegas did Aiden Hill, mm-hmm. it might not be as easy because I think the Sharks recognize that too. Right. I'm I'm with you on that. I think he's looked phenomenal, and certainly the games they've won have been almost entirely because he has been the best player on the ice for them, right? I guess my concern, if you were about going from, all right, this is a good story of a guy rebuilding his career and, and getting back on track and, and kind of showing all the physical tools that he did early in his career in, in New Jersey, is I don't know if this situation he's in, this environment, is like applicable to me to any other team that would potentially acquire him. You know what I mean? Like I, the physical tools are certainly one thing, but I think sometimes we can get into trouble of saying, all right, well, this goalie is performing in this situation in one way. And all of a sudden, if we take them and then plop them into our environment, we should expect the same. And I think a lot of people would think, well, look at his adjusted save percentage, look at the saves he's making, put him behind a better team. And all of a sudden you're going to be cooking with something. But not, I think there is something to be said about Not every goalie is great behind but a also, better defensive there's team. No, I don't want to get psychoanalyzed. There's no pressure. There's no, like, anything. No, that, that's what I was going to say. The other thing is that like, you can go out there every night. Like, it's like beer league. Yeah. Like, not to equate the NHL to beer league, but, like, the best games you have as a beer league goaltender are when you go in and you see, like, eight guys on the bench and the other team's the best in the league and they got a full lineup and you're like, we're going to get absolutely pumped tonight. And you're just like, so what the hell? Just go out there and, like, throw it all to the wind. And yeah. Stand, like, and there's a little bit of that in San Jose, I guess. But... Uh, to me, so I guess those questions have to be asked. And I actually think we can. It's too small a sample in San Jose right now. But I think we can sort through some of that information. We look at what do his numbers do when the score is close. Right. Like, is he making all these saves after they're down two or three to nothing? Like, when it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you could ask the same question of goalies sometimes when they get a big lead on great teams. Like you can, you can drill down in the numbers and I didn't today, I didn't do the prep work for that. But now that I've been asked the question and pointed to Mackenzie Blackwood as, as one of my answers, um, and I think history and talking to guys like Eddie Lack who were with him in all those years ago in New Jersey and were just like, like eyes as wide as saucers at the potential here. Yeah. And again, back to the physical tools. I think we can, you can't see inside their mind for how they handle pressure, but you can look at certain numbers that are at least indicators of how they perform under pressure. Do right. they crater when the score is close? David Riddich had a lot of that. Um, big save Dave, yeah. as much as he was great on high danger chances, uh, in scores, close situations, sometimes at beginning and end of periods, we can drill right down to all those elements. His numbers fell off a cliff. Right. And so I, we can perform that same exercise with Mackenzie Blackwood. So I'm not saying we can come up with a definitive answer. Yes. But we can certainly take what I th- see as a potential next Aiden Hill and at least try to measure some of those other elements of how he manages pressure. Because I think in New Jersey, he was just never, never healthy. Like, to the point, he had what we call a Bauer bump 
and probably not fair to Bauer that they get the nickname, but it's essentially basically like a bone spur right. caused by rubbing on the skate. Gotcha. His was so bad, they literally cut the heel, the hard plastic carbon fiber heel out of his skate, put black tape over it so people wouldn't realize he was essentially playing with his heel exposed to the natural air and elements. And he played through that. Uh, he told me that story, I think, last year or the year before, and I was just shocked. Like, So sometimes we judge guys based on how they're performing without all the information about what they're trying to perform through. And I think there was at least some element of that with Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey. Yeah. No, and I, I didn't, to be clear, I didn't mean to make it like a, oh, well, he's playing free and easy because there's no pressure and he would fold in a different environment. I meant, I meant more so like... I just don't know. This Sharks team is such an outlier and an aberration compared to the other 31. It's a totally fair question. It's where it's like, I just don't know if it's applicable, what whatever anyone's doing in that environment, to what it would look like on another actual NHL team that's competing, right? Like, it's like, all right, we're going to go out there. We might lose 10-1 today. You're probably going to face 40 shots. 20 of them are going to come from the inner slot. Good luck. And then if you, you make a bunch of those saves, all right, well, what does that what does that really mean to me? Now, if you watch the tape, you're like, all right, he's healthy. His technique is great. You see the tools. He's applying them. He's making all that stuff. That would he's make built me like more, a linebacker. That would make me much more confident about yeah. like, all right, there's something here to work with. Um, but I just, I'm a bit wary always. Of yeah, like it's, just it's assuming, totally I guess, that A equals B in this case, right? Like it's, 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 it's totally fair. So that's why we try and find other ways of yeah. measuring some of those questions that come up in a situation like that. You know, and, and I think the other thing is like, as much as we saw the potential years ago of Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey, with Aiden Hill, we had a little more proof of concept. Like he'd spent some time in Arizona um, and had, you know, relative to team, you know, some levels of success. As a matter of fact, he also had some exposure because he was in Arizona to some of the ways you would be asked to play positionally under Sean Burke with the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and so, you know, we've talked about how Aiden Hill's strengths fit what Vegas gives up and how it looks like they tailor to his strengths, including the high danger chances they give up. We talked about that, how he's so good in tight because his pass are so short because he plays so deep. So they'll give up a slot line play, a low slot line play, but they don't give up hot high slot line plays right. that expose sort of his, some of, I don't say deficiencies, but relative weaknesses in his reactive game. Like there's a really good fit there. And by the way, like not to turn this into the Aiden Hill show, but at the end of the year last year, we talked about how good he was in the playoffs. Like, yes, they're a great team, but he was performing in the playoffs. Like, if he did that for a full season, his adjusted save percentage would be at a Vesna level. Yep. Guess where it is right now? At a Vesna level. At a Vesna level, plus 3.4%. The only guy who is a regular starter ahead of him right now is Thatcher Demko. Mm. Like, so... It's translating again. This isn't just, a lot of people want to say it's all the team and all the system, and they complement each other beautifully, for sure. But Aiden Hill deserves to be in that conversation right now. Right. If you've passed through the Arizona environment, I'm going to be higher on you as a goalie. I think that's one of, I know there's not a, a lot of rules to apply to goaltending, and it can be very volatile and unpredictable and all that good stuff. I think for me, I'm at this point where we if you have to- any connection to it, I'm in. I think I've done this before, but I think we need to tire pump Corey Schwab, the goalie yeah. coach there, has been down there for years and, and sort of So what are they doing? What, is it, what are they doing heralded. that's working? Because I think for a while they've obviously, like, they've been big on on the on the frame, right? Like, it seems like they, they've been, like, very attached to big goalies who are athletic and trying to kind of mold that 
and make well, it work. Yeah, you know, but Connor Ingram's an exception right. to that, right? Rule, right. right? Like, but Connor, I'm just thinking you of like see Connor Ingram Kemper, outside of his, his career, like he looks like a beer leaguer at times, yeah. right? Like, and he'll tell, like, he'll tell you that. So, um, yeah, it's you know, it's a good question. Uh, as much as I've tire pumped Schwabi here, he's not a guy who's been really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not, not that he's like hidden from me. We know he's doing he's a good really job. Nice, we just he, don't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he hasn't shared a lot of these secrets, secret sauce. As a matter of fact, I was at one point supposed to, um, I guess mediate, uh, his, a presentation of his with, for hockey Canada goalie coaches this summer, I was asked to, and then I wasn't not asked to, but all of a sudden I never heard back about it. And I'm kind of wondering like, did he not want me to ask the questions? Yeah. Cause he doesn't want me to know the answer, but whatever he's doing, he's doing a great job. I hear good things from other goalie coaches about the work he does. Um, interestingly enough, like he's a guy who, uh, has exposure in the past to both sort of a more rhythm based, uh, flow and feel style teaching. Like he came up like San Jose and the system there and the Warren Strelo and a lot of the for lack of a better term, old school teachings, but then also spent some time with some modern technicians while he was still playing, sort of more technical goalie coaches. And whatever he's doing, when I watch his goalies play, I just see a real nice balance between those two worlds. Like, and that sliding scale, his goalies tend not to be over to one side or the other. And I think the fact he's working with such different type of goalies, they all hold their feet really well. They're all really patient, but with different frames and different strengths and weaknesses, um, I, I think it says something about him that he's not, he doesn't seem like he, there, there's something that he must be doing to bring out their strengths. And there's probably a common thread I haven't found yet, but it doesn't feel like he's trying to change everybody into the same thing. Mm. And that's, you know, that's something that isn't necessarily true around the league. And when it is, you usually hear about it because it's a credit to the guy for not trying to force everyone into that same you know, every whatever round, square peg, round yes. hole, whatever. Not trying to make everyone the same. Yeah. Well, while we're on this, Ingram, 920 save percentage. We I think we spoke about this at the start of the year, though. He had that one where he got pulled after 12 games, and it was sort of this, like, outlier performance where he just gave up a couple goals. They just made the goalie change. If you take that one out, and it's always risky, you know, removing stuff from the sample when it's still such a small sample. He's got, like, a 920 save percent, 927 save percentage. In all the other games, like, he's been so rock solid. A couple games coming up here against Tampa Bay and Colorado offenses. I'm, I'm very curious to see whether they give him... A, lot, a bigger share of these starts and how he does in them. But regardless, like... Found money either way. Having him and Vamelka at $4.7 million combined for this year and next is is how you do it. That's a that's a tidy piece of business for them. And, and like, listen, I am not going to pretend to have seen a bunch of style or way he plays elements in Connor Ingram that led me to the conclusion last year. This was purely numbers. Like, when I said somebody needs to go get him off 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 the waiver wire when Nashville or if and when Nashville sends him down last year, it was basically on small sample. Like I remember there's a game in Edmonton where I think he even got pulled where he was up for just a few with mm-hmm. Nashville and he went in there. I liked the I thought he made a lot of really tough saves. I liked the way he played, but it was the underlying numbers on in small samples that said he was outperforming the environment. Like there's there's a goalie there. So this isn't like any magical eye test or I'm like I'm good lord, I'm not the I'm not that I'm not that smart. But the numbers don't lie. And when I look at ClearSight and we see some of these things, um, you know, like they tend to add up. They do. Yeah, he had that game for Nashville. Remember it was when they got absolutely walloped by Colorado and their Stanley Cup here two years ago now, I guess. And UC Soros got injured at the end of the year. And so initially I was like, all right, David Riddick's going to be the goalie. And then that quickly 
we found out that was not going to be the case in that series. Then Connor Ingram comes in for that game two, I believe, and wound up losing in overtime, but had nearly 50 saves and was just like, he just put on a show and you could tell that the Colorado shooters were just getting increasingly agitated that nothing they were trying was working. There's a lot of old school in them too. Like, like when I, like there's some reactive saves there rather than again, being over-reliant. Like to me, technique can breed consistency. Like having that foundation where you do the same things the same way uh, enough that it, that there's a sort of a, a, a floor, a foundation, but not everybody's willing to go outside the box. He is. He makes some saves that you know may not be technically perfect or stylistically pretty all the time, but they're they're tough saves and he makes them. And like again, there might be goalie coaches that looked at that and be like, ah, it's not repeatable. But the numbers say he's making enough of them that he's you know on the tough chances. That again, there's a goalie. There's a yeah. goalie there, right? And that's that's all I was relying on. I think it's another man. Like I gotta say, like. Some of the mistakes that get made too, like I'm like, why are why are why are GMs not looking at the same numbers I'm looking at? Because I could have saved you this mistake in a hurry, and it's not because I'm smart; it's because the numbers don't lie. Yeah. And they've in a couple of cases they've kind of panned out that way. Well, the reason why I included Lankin in here was because I think a lot of this. I think we we both believe that he's a good goalie. The issue is opportunity, right? Because we know right, that Saros is just going to start, yeah. probably lead the league in in starts, if not uh, close to it. Now. He's been really good in his five games, right? He's got 9.20, goals save well expected by my count. But he's a UFA this summer, and they have Askarov playing really well in the AHL. I think they have Soros for one more year. It seems like everything, all the reporting we've seen is that they're very invested in keeping Soros long-term. Right. And then I will see, there, there's all those rumors they were looking to trade Askarov at the draft. We'll see what happens there. But I, regardless, I don't think Kevin Lankinen will necessarily be you see Soros is back up for that much longer. And so I'm very curious, especially if Nashville, um, you know, takes a bit of a step back towards the trade deadline, if he becomes a name that we keep talking a lot about. And so that'll be a fun topic to circle back to then. But just in terms of if you're thinking like, all right, who's a goalie who could easily fall like into some more starts here on a potentially better team? Well, he, he was my, again, and do well like, with it. we had Corpus Allo last year. He was the next guy yeah. on my list for the same reason, because he was a UFA last year, and then they re-upped him. They gave him an extra year. I'm with you. Now, listen, again, this goes down to, are there things he does and that they do in Nashville um, a little bit differently under Ben Vanderklok? Uh, we talked a lot about um, Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman and that little bit of recoil they have in their game. And that became a, a hot term in the goaltending world. And I wrote a story and in some cases it was well-received. In other cases, it was like, this is nothing new. But the way the Bruins do it, that little bit of backwards drift, even on an open look, I think is different, or it's at least different to how most coaches do it. And Nashville does a little bit of the same. And Saros has a little bit of that in his game too. They called it a teeter, just a little bit of a sort of set yourself backwards ever so slightly so that that momentum, if a puck goes off a leg or you make a save but it goes to the back door you're already headed in the right direction as opposed to pushing out on it or dropping forward and taking yourself away from those second opportunities and so Lankinen's been working on that and I, I, I've watched him and Vanderklok work on it and it's 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 really kind of cool to see frankly as a goalie geek but then to see him have success with it so if you're if you're a team that's looking at him you have to include that. Is your goalie coach going to be like, no, 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 we're no more of this? Because I think that's part of the growth process he's undergone in Nashville. So if you're acquiring him, you might want to. And, and I wish more, you know, teams actually checked with the guy who was going to be working yeah, with the goalies you, you before think, making that deal. But think, make sure that guy's still going to be willing to have a little bit of that in his game and going to reinforce it. I was going to ask you because I think people are very interested in this idea of that sort of 
chain of command or line of communication in this regard of of not only the scouting but also the the application of this where we generally just attribute all these moves to the GM, right? Or, or maybe the head coach in terms of preferences in some case they, are. they ask for. And then how much of it is actually the person who's going to be directly working with this player, whether they think it's a right fit and whether it makes sense for for what they're trying to accomplish at that position. Varies from team to team. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, uh, the goalie coach gets very limited input. I'm not going to cite examples because then the question would be, how do I know? And and that means somebody's talked, and that's not a good thing. Um, there are teams that make decisions on goaltending without with barely consulting their goalie mm. coach. Increasingly, that's less common, um, which is a good thing, but but it happens. It happens a lot more than I think a lot of people understand. And this is why I love the teams that build out a department, because now you have somebody that's overseeing everyone, so that not just your amateur scouts, but your pro scouts understand the concepts that I just talked about in terms of what recoil is, what a teeter is, how to look for it. Does it fit with how we play as our goalie coach can allow our guy to have it? Um, what does our goalie coach want in a goalie? And I think when you have, and, and here in Vancouver, for example, Ian Clark is also the director of goaltending. And I know he has a manual on scouting goalies that is like, it's evidently pretty thick. And there are details and specifics that they look for. You think of things like length instead of size. Like if a goalie's really tall, but he doesn't have length and reach, it's kind of useless right. height, right? Um, so I think organizations that have that top bottom, top down, or group think approach on the on the position collaborative, collaborative. Thank you. That's where you're going to have your most success. But the reality is, we're on, for a lot of these, we're only a couple of years into everybody having a coach in the American Hockey League right. that's a goalie coach. So. Um, I think top of my head, we're talking what, like five or six teams that have a, an actual goalie department that sort of looks at it through that lens. Yeah, I think the Panthers, the Predators, the PDO cast, uh, a few the, others. The Islanders, that, that have the, uh, the Calgary yeah. Flames, the Los Angeles Kings, now that uh, Billy Ranford's moved up mm -hmm. into that. And like, you know, like I know because we had Bill on the Ingle podcast recently. Um, you know, him coming onto that into that position, first time director as the longtime goalie coach. Like they're building out common language on on how scouts look at things and and not just, hey, this is how we do it in the goaltending department. Here's our language. Here's what we want you to look for. But making sure and verifying that all what they think applies as positives, like checking it, checking the numbers, like does this translate? Is this going to translate long term? And, um, you know, it's quite an extensive process that I think they've gone through and you know, so when they need to acquire a goal, like it's no coincidence in my mind, even though Billy wasn't in the role last year, that Corpus Allo fit there. Right. Right. That Camp Talbot's having the success yes. he's having. Okay. I want to talk about that with you. It pains me, but we have to pay the bills. We got to take a break here because we're just free flowing right now. We're riffing. I'm, in, I'm loving the rhythm of this. I was moment. wondering. We got to take our break. Stop. And then when we come back, we'll keep chatting with Kevin Woodley about goalies. You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast, joined by Kevin Woodley. We are chatting goalies. So, Kevin, we were talking about this organizational approach to scouting and goalie coaches and conversations, collaborative efforts. Um, got a question about the Oilers sending Jack Campbell down to the AHL and just sort of how that works in terms of it's, on the one hand, it's you want to get that goalie kind of 
lower pressure reps, right? If you want to get them back on track, iron stuff out in their game, whether it's technical, whether it's mental, just kind of get them away, reset, and allow them to figure stuff out, right? That's kind of the logic. Now, I would say the AHL environment in terms of what you're facing is so wildly different to the NHL that I'm not sure. It's game of mistakes, unpredictable, even more so unpredictable than the NHL. Yeah, I'd imagine the shooting talent is quite significantly worse as well. The teams are, you know, I would just say probably um, playing differently in terms of the shots they're trying to trying to get, right? Like, it's like, it's just totally different. It's almost apples to oranges. And so on the one hand, it could be an individual thing where it's it's up to you to make the most out of that experience and get whatever you need out of it. But on the other, it also seems like if you're actually trying to get back on track in the NHL, it might not be the best place. Yeah, there. Are, it's funny we had Rick Tockett talking this morning about how he thinks certain guys are better in the NHL than the AHL because there is more structure and more predictability, and it's less a game of mistakes. I think he was talking about Cole McWard, the defenseman. But right. I've certainly heard that from goalies over the years. They're always careful, very careful, not to say that the NHL is easier. But then if you get them talking a little bit, they sort of imply that it is. Like, yes, the shots are better. The skill is incredible. And increasingly in the last five years, the opportunities those players get with a little time and a little space to execute at that level has made the game. I had one goalie tell me it's never been harder. Now, I happen to talk to a goalie from the 90s today who said, yeah, it used to hurt. So it's definitely been harder. It doesn't hurt anymore. Um, but the, the amount of skill out there is just insane. So... Everyone's sort of hesitant to say that, but the AHL is a game of mistakes and the NHL, there is more control, more structure in front of you. And I think for goalies, especially a goalie that relies on reads, Mm. and I think Jack's a read goalie for the most part. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but just what I've seen, a guy who reads the game pretty well, um, you know, I'm not sure that a ton of AHL time is going to help. That said, I think, and, and you know, someone someone in Bakersfield told me this because I was there after he got sent down. They started in Abbotsford. I went to the first game. I asked some of the questions that you've seen on all the clips after that. Were you there for first... the one that were bounced bounced in? Yes, and yeah. asked about it afterwards, right. and and just hated to even have to do it. But then I went back to practice the next day and I watched him work, and we had a really good one on one conversation afterwards about you know what this is like. And I had someone else in the organization say um, that they kind of wished that they were home, mm. that this didn't happen as they were. You know, had two in Abbotsford, had two in Calgary the week after. They could just get him away. I think so. As much as I agree with everything you're saying about, I'm not sure the AHL is the best place for him to find his game. It might be the best place for him to get away in Bakersfield, at least from the spotlight of the game that was so glad, you know, shining sort of so brightly on him up here. And, and the funny thing to me is, like right up until his last start against Nashville. And we talked about there were a couple things he wished he had done differently in that start against Nashville, execution-wise, save selection-wise. I think Philip Forsberg, who last I checked was a pretty damn good offensive player, uh, got him on a wrap after sort of faking coming off the wall. And that's a tough play as a goalie because if you suck back into your net anticipating the wrap and he doesn't fake, you're giving up a ton of net, especially at Jack's side, short side. So Jack squares up on him. And now he fakes him to his knees in a butterfly, and he's basically facing the left boards, and he's got to get his body and turned around into that right. Like, it's a tougher play than I think most people realize. And he admits he should have handled it differently and read it differently. So he saw some errors in execution and reads there. 
But heading into that game, his adjusted save percentage, don't forget that was his last game in the NHL this season. His adjusted save percentage before that game for all the criticism going on in Oilers land was exactly where it was in the two years he was with Toronto. Right. This was not all on Jack Campbell. And so it dipped below expected after that game. Um, But I, I, I feel like he wasn't, like as bad as the raw numbers indicated, we've talked about how terrible they yes. were defensively. And by the way, all those defensive underlying metrics have improved significantly since the coaching change mm. from dead last really? in rush, dead last with a bullet in high danger rush chances against at the time of the coaching change. They've crept up to 30th, but in the two weeks, that shows you how bad it was right. that they only crept up to 30th because in those two weeks, they've been 10th in the NHL mm. in terms of what they give right. off, the, off the rush. So, um, I don't have a lot of answers on Jack. Like, you know, uh, everybody's searching for them. Surprised. I mean, he's bringing in his, his sort of off-season goalie coach into Bakersfield, which is something we, I think there are a lot more consultants that work with guys in the season than we know about, but it's odd. You know, it's it, not odd. It's it's less normal to see them on the ice with the team. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know that he was that bad. Like, I don't know that, you know, given everything else going around, he sort of became the scapegoat, I think, for a lot of their defensive woes. Almost like we're going to send a message by sending this guy down. Well, the reason why I brought this up was more so like not to rehash the conversation of Oilers defense versus goalies. <laughs> so I probably should have asked why you're asking this before I no, went no, on a 10-minute rant. No, no, no. But I think it's a really interesting conversation, particularly through the lens of I think the NHL product is becoming so much more specialized these days. Like it's always been the best hockey players in the world, right? The amount of talent is just phenomenal. But we spend so much time having this conversation through the perspective of team defense, right? It's been such a point of conversation this year of like this whole zone defense, box and one, like trying to pack the house, replicate what what Vegas did, right? And and by the way, in their own end, they were fine. Yes. They're like like top 10 throughout that whole stretch in terms of what they gave up in zone. It was all about what they were giving up off the rush and that switch in the neutral zone defense seemed to be what was costing them. And crappy decisions on the other end of the rink that led to turnovers. They were, but that also exactly reflects this sort of paradigm shift in the NHL as a whole, which is why it's becoming so specialized, where teams are so actively seeking out very specific shots these days, right? Like, I think everyone understands that all things being equal, you need to get pucks through the slot and into that home plate area or attack off the rush. Like, other than the Carolina Hurricanes, for the most part. I was going to say, not everybody. Most most teams have gotten the memo that a good goalie or a good defensive system will just eat you up if you allow them to keep you to the outside and have those very predictable shots from a few locations in the offensive zone. And so we're seeing both on an individual and on a team level, everyone trying to almost replicate the exact same formula in terms of what you want to accomplish. And then you get into that struggle of offense versus defense, right, where the defense knows that they're trying to take that away. Now it's up to you as an offensive talent to figure out how to create that anyways. But we never really think about it from the perspective of the goalie where now your workload or what you should be expect to face on a day-to-day basis way is becoming so like, like it's just shrinking down into this point where it's becoming so concentrated where you're probably on average going to face less in terms of volume 
but, but each of those shots quality. are going to be significantly harder. I, I can't remember if we had this discussion. I don't think we have. Okay, so I had this discussion with a couple of goalies at the start of the year. Okay. And that was where sort of the, the genesis of the game's never been harder for us conversation began. And like I said, the, the 80s and 90s goaltenders that basically were felt as chess protectors. Yeah, they actually have well, equipment these yeah, days. Like, yeah, like, you know, every time you took a shot off the mask, it broke your nose. Like, they would disagree about the game being harder, <laughs> uh, physically at least. But... It's be- in part because of that. Casey DeSmith, was, he told me, he's like, I used to get like 32 shots and there'd be four or five grade A's. Now I might get 20 and nine of them are grade A's. Like that percentage of tough chances. So naturally, save, that's why I think that's why we're seeing save percentage continue to decrease. At the current rate, we can end up under 900, if not this year, by next year as a league average. And I was like, ah, oh, the goalies are getting worse. And I'm not going to say the goalies are getting worse. But this was also planted with me by a goalie coach uh, this year, an NHL goalie coach. For the first time, we're seeing that the NHL is a development league for goalies mm. in some situations. Guys that would have been left in the American Hockey League longer are getting opportunities up here, uh, in part because of the mass retirement of guys that used to play 70 a game for the last five or six yeah. years, right? So we've had that discussion. But Casey's like, I'm not seeing as many shots but the, the ones I do see are a lot tougher. So my save percentage is going to go down. And you can't compare if I'm at 903 this year versus 903 three years ago, like, because league average is just that much harder. And so um, I think that understand, like, we, they know that, they feel that, they sense that's coming. Um, there's not much they can do about it. How do you prepare for it? And, and teams are certainly, like, we know this, right? Like, there are, I've watched a game with an NHL goalie coach, and guy takes a shot from what looks like, and frankly, in some models, would be considered high danger purely on location. And he's sitting there next to me going, that's a turnover. Mm-hmm. Unless we win the next draw, that's a turnover. Not only does the goalie save it, but he controls that save. Um, so, yeah, all those elements, it's never been tougher that way. What we've lost for goalies is the feeler. The, you know, where... where literally like two thirds of your shots were low danger. You knew you were making the save 99% of the time. Pad the stats, feel the puck. Helped you feel yeah. good. Yeah. That, that confidence boosting feeler shot. And man, like, like teams seem to, that's why I used to hate it. They would change a goalie like, mm-hmm. and, or a, a goalie would get hurt and the guy would come off the bench and the, and the announcers would be like, Oh, I need to make sure you get shots. Just like, any shots at the goal? I'm like, no, don't just throw it from the, like, why are you going to just take a shot? Cause he's fresh into the game. Cause the 99 percenters, the ones that they stop all the time, that's just going to help them feel the puck and feel good. Make them sit there for five minutes and then deliver a great a and see how he, how he deals with it. And I, I think that mentality to varying degrees has crept, not crept in. It's, it's, it's all over the league right now. And it makes it that much harder for goalies. It is. I mean, there's so much involved in the calculus here, right? But it's like seeking out specific shots. The fact, I think too much in terms of the public models, I think we have spoken about this in the past, is uh, attributed to proximity to the net, where the closer you are, obviously it's treated as more high danger because you're more likely in theory to score from there. But I think we know now also that you reach a bit of a point of diminishing returns where if you get too in tight, it can almost make life a bit easier in the goalie because you're almost cutting down your own angle to actually well, shoot I, at. I mean if if the goalie's in position and it's right in front of him and you're yeah, banging away it's just like absorb it yeah it's like we talk about padding the stats it's like christian leitner missing his own putback so he can grab another rebound right yeah. like it's it's that's all you're doing but if you create that same shot close to that after a lateral play across the crease and you're forcing the goalie to go east west like now all he's going to be lucky to do is get a pad there at best right so i i do think there's that understanding i do think that 
and, and again, I, I want to stress, because I think the people that are in charge of those models are freaking brilliant. Of course. They're just limited in the data they have. And I think as we get more data, we have a better understanding where I think it shows up, because I always hear the argument in large samples, it all sort of evens out, but we're not dealing with large samples for most of one hockey season, mm -hmm. right? We're dealing with smaller samples. And that's where if 10 are, you know, at the edge of the crease, but the goalie's sitting there already, and the other goalie, nine of his 10 are at the edge of the crease, but they're after cross-ice passes, I know who I like to make more saves, um, you know, just based on those different elements. And I think we're seeing that get measured. The other one that almost no one measures is traffic. Mm. like screens, layered, like layered screens are a 40% chance yes. if you've got multiple layers. And we just don't see that even in a lot of the proprietary stuff. And when I, you know, I've had people be like, oh, well, you just got to find a puck around traffic. And, and I look and I'm like, I'm surprised when I look at ClearSight and see how high danger a chance layered screens are. Now, is it easy to get that puck on net and get it through a layered screen? Is your percentage go down? Because a lot of them don't make it to the net, 100%. Um, but when I have these conversations with goalies, and now with players about what they're trying to do, working in concert with teammates to not, it's, it's not about just go to the net and take away the goalie's eyes. It's about, okay, this goalie, like actually probably most of the league is going to look short side around a screen. So if the puck's at the top of the circle or it's headed at the top of the circle and say a low high pop pass, and you're in the middle net as a screener, and that goalie's looking around your, say, let's say it's uh, at the left circle, so the goalie's looking over your right shoulder on the right side of his net for the short side. Okay. As that puck's about to be caught, you need to start taking your screen and pushing it more and more to the short side. And so the goalie has a choice now. He either has to keep coming with you to the short side, which is a really uncomfortable thing to do because you're giving away the other side of the net. And yes, the math says there's more bodies and it's more likely to hit something on the way in there. And yes, my flexing forward should be blocking that lane, not the short side lane. But it's a really tough thing to do. And if you pull them far enough to the short side, um, you basically will pull them out of the net. Or what happens is he has to make a decision and give up his vision on the puck and switch sides as you drift that screen. And I, like, I've watched Besser and JT Miller, and I've had conversations with Besser and JT Miller about how they're doing it this year, especially JT, and they're having a ton of success with it. Mm. There was one against Toronto where they had a perfect replay from behind the net, so I cite it because everybody can go back and find it. Like, Brock drifts right, Samsonov has to shift, and, and the timing is so perfect because as he's changing the side he's looking around the screen the puck's off jt right. stick that on that downhill wrist on the power play yeah and, yeah. He, and you can't see it and you talk to every goalie in the league they get all their information off the release if they can't see the release yeah. there's I'm an element guessing. to guessing ottinger made some brilliant saves here jake ottinger with the stars against quinn hughes and quinn couldn't believe that he got a couple of them but jake was so patient holding vision and then reacting around the screen. So he stayed short side, saw the release, and in his words, if I see the release, I know where it's going. I can get there across the screen, across the body. But not every guy feels that way, so you get them guessing. And the amount of interplay right now, especially on power plays, with forwards trying to do specific things to goaltenders that make their life miserable, even if Besser pulls right and that goalie comes off that short side early into the middle, 
there's a play there where JT can basically shoot at Besser and Brock's got to get out of the way. And now all of a sudden the goalie's moving into the middle and the puck's head back short side. Like there is so much dynamic element to what teams are trying to do to goaltenders and how goaltenders are trying to manage. Like I do the pro reads with the goalies where they're explaining to me how they're trying to figure this out in real time. Yeah. And they all for the past few years continue to talk about like, man, like teams are figuring this out and they're working so hard to make our lives miserable. The old adage of get to the net is so much more complicated than just actually being it. It's, you can't just get there. You have to work effectively when you're there. Well, and especially most players now are told, like, we're losing the net front screen as a stationary, like, just get the biggest guy on your team to stand in front of the net and try to take the goalie's eyes. A lot of teams are doing these actions now. The Lightning really brought this into prominence during their peak years with Alex Kaloran, where it's like, you just have the guy kind of at the goal line or behind the net, and then he comes out and he tries to time it so that he's streaking through that lane as the puck is coming so that he's taking... Flash screen. Flash screen is one of like, the toughest oh, one for a goalie. I yep. can see the puck. Oh, all of a sudden, I lost it for a second, and that's when... If you tie, if you time the taking away of the eyes, whether it's Brock Besser drifting across the vision as a, as a pop pass up is is being taken and shot back to the net by JT Miller or Alex Galorn flashing across the goalie's eyes as Kucherov's getting the puck for a one T. If you remove the vision on the release, like that is the job. Yeah. And every goalie will tell you that like, you wouldn't believe the amount of information a goaltender gets off an NHL release. That's why we started pro reads. It's staggering. Some of these guys can't even explain it. Mm. They're just like, I can't even tell you exactly what it is here. But I've seen it so many times, hand angle, shoulder angle, hip angle, where the feet are placed, what the blade looks like. I know this puck is going high glove. You take away the ability to gather that information and interpret it. Like you can't react once the puck's halfway there. It's already like it's too late, right? Especially yeah. at the velocities guys are shooting these days. So the the amount of work that teams do to take that vision away now is to me just it's it's never we've never seen anything like it before. And that's another reason I think, you know, with all due respect to the guys who wore bruises and broken noses because of the equipment back in the day, the game is never harder for goaltenders than it is right now. Well, you might not get this reference, but I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z and they have these like little screens that are basically in their glasses that allow them to like sense the the power and all this biometric data on 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 whoever they're coming across right and we almost need that for goalies just so i could we could quantify what percentage of the shots they're seeing and then what percentage they're saving on it versus ones where they're screened or their eyes got taken away and what happens with the efficiency of those shots because that what i think would open up we're there, with all the answers we're looking for. There, there is not quite to the degree of what was that Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball Z? Z? Come on, okay, come on, I Kevin, Paul, you're not hey, that listen, old. listen, listen. You're clearly on Discord. Yeah. That. that feels like it's got to be a <laughs> That's gamer a Discord thing. reference. Yeah. Um, there was, and I'm going to screw this up, so I'm not even going to try to remember which coach it was. There's a coach in the Swedish Hockey League, the SEL or SHL now, the old yep. Elite League, um, that basically had his goalies wearing glasses, so the glasses had cameras out. So they saw what the goalie was like. They saw where the gaze was of the goaltender based on where the glasses were pointed under the mask. But then it also had cameras pointing in at their eyeballs. And so somehow it was able to sort of track where the, uh, where the eyes were looking. Like the head would be one place and where the eyes were looking. So basically to try and quantify right. some of those things. Yep. 
and the data was fascinating and and they've since applied it in other ways and actually i think at the world i don't know if he's doing a presentation because sweden's hosting a, a goalie coaching conference as part of the world juniors uh, which is again another just absolute feather in the cap to the way they manage mm-hmm. the teaching of the position like just kudos to thomas magnuson and his crew and they're bringing over and they'll have presentations from nhl goalie coaches and if you're able to get to sweden for this as a goalie person you should uh, i don't know if this guy's presenting at this one but i i was at one in nashville where he presented on the data and the stuff they were finding like that's the degree that's, we're looking at as goalies. We're trying to find this stuff. That's the future. That's what I need to know. Kevin, we got to get out of here. We're out of time. Everyone check out Kevin is in goal on Twitter, in goal magazine. We're going to have you back on in a couple weeks again, and we'll pick this back up because I think this was my favorite conversation we ever had with you on here. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Also, join the Discord. We kept referencing on this show where you can get part of this conversation and figure it out. We'll get Kevin on there as well at some point. Uh, the invite link to the community is in the show notes, and we'll be back with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.